0: Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky, And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, so we got a, another quarantine episode in here. So not too much has changed, but, you know, we're still doing this. We still want to talk about it. And, you know, after this whole uh, pandemic ends. This issue's still going to be there, so I think it's important that we continue doing it and continue talking about it. Albert, how have you been?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I'm just noticing that the last three times we've talked, I've worn the same shirt, so I've gotten into that place where, like, I just go for the same outfit every single day. Um, I mean, it's it has been rather rather up and down, and and probably more than anything else, just realizing that di- we're all um, being impacted by this everywhere. At the same time, some people's lives are being dramatically impacted even more. There's so many different levels. You know, uh, everybody's experiencing a little bit of like that, uh, you know, caged in vibe of ha- having to self, uh, you know, quarantine and, and um, a sh- a shelter in place. But some people really, honestly, they're dealing with loss of life uh, in their family. They're dealing with, um all kinds of like things happening in their lives that have been greatly uprooted. Uh, you know I feel so bad people have their weddings and they have their kids that were just born, and the parents can 't see the grandparents can 't see the kid and blah blah blah. So I guess the message is just partially to to uh, have perspective where unless you 're on the front line as a nurse or a doctor uh, and and right there in the front lines, your situation could be much more traumatic, and we have to keep. perspective otherwise we're really gonna miss the key point that we're supposed to learn from this
0: exactly you know i totally feel you there's everyone out on the front line you know i was kind of watching the news yesterday and people are in like full hazmat suits like it's serious like it is super serious so i am i'm very grateful that you know i'm in this situation that i'm in but also i mean we've been dealing with with so much like my life is turned upside down and you know, there are new forms of anxiety and different things that we're dealing with. So that's um, going to be a lot of today's um, theme is, you know, the kind of different anxiety that's been going on for a while. So Sean actually reached out to me uh, through a DM and said, hey, we should talk about this. Albert, you threw up a post and, um, you know, we had a couple people uh, write in and ask questions. So we'll get this going. But let me introduce Sean. Sean. Um, Sean Diederich, a.k.a. Selvage Wings, was born and raised in the lower Hudson Valley. Sean has been married for five years. He's now 34, working as a commercial delivery driver in the medical field. He has a deep interest in denim, quality goods, as well as history, punk rock, and hardcore. Sean, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me on. Definitely. Well, Whenever we first started DMing, I just got to uh, share this part is you sent me um, two songs that were like very positive hardcore songs and they <laughs> cracked me up, man. That was uh, something I've never heard of before. So thank you for that. That yeah, no uh, problem. brought me a big smile. And, to and my those friend. were <laughs>
1: um, hardcore is a genre or a group? Remember, I'm 57 and I'm a cussman.
2: Hardcore is a musical genre. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a subgenre of the punk rock movement. So.
1: Okay. Because I know industrial because my other half listens to a lot of KMFDM and stuff like the ministry. I know some of that stuff, but uh, not, so. not hardcore. Yeah, a little,
0: little different style there. Probably the yes. <laughs> inverse to uh, classical music. <laughs> yeah, where, <laughs> yeah, Well,
1: actually, there's hardcore uh, classical, totally.
0: All right. I yeah, listen it.
1: to Shostakovich's Fourth Symphony, which was, like written under the terror of being killed by Stalin and it's a volcanic erupt, eruption. It's the most insane piece. I'm gonna put that up. I'll send you guys both a link to Shostakovich's fourth symphony. He actually had to table it because he thought he would be killed and it didn't get premiered till like 40 years after, after he died. Yeah, well, probably got some facts there wrong, but yeah, he, he, it was not performing <laughs> in his lifetime, I don't think. Um, Sean, there's two ironies uh, going on here at the beginning of a show where the topic is social anxiety. First of all, that a person uh, suggested it and volunteered to come on and talk about it. That's kind of an irony right there. And now we're talking about social social uh, anxiety at a time of social distancing. So this, there's really some double irony going there. I'm wondering, Sean, if you could just give us a little bit of a sense of how the recent turn of events has impacted your situation. I mean, you're, you um, are still driving, you're still working, you're out and about.
2: Yeah, I'm still working. Um, What I do primarily, I deliver um, dialysis supplies directly to patients in their homes. Um, So it's a vital job right now. Um, It has to continue indefinitely because these people need those products to survive. Um, So the only thing that's changing for me is wearing more protective equipment, taking more protective measures, you know, as far as distancing from the patient itself. But uh, um, as far as being out and social distancing, um, yeah, I never got together in large groups with a lot of people, didn't hang out with a lot of people all the time. So not much has changed for me. Um, This is kind of like
1: business as usual. Well a third irony is I actually met you at a denim fest. Yes. Of about 30 or 40 uh,
2: people. <laughs> and we talk uh, I mean when there's events like that that are everyone's into the same kind of stuff or there's a general, you know, consensus between the people, I can, you know, come out and at least we all have that interest together and that's easier to uh you know, bridge that barrier, bridge that what? gap.
1: One of the things that that was really astounding to me was just how how common uh, social anxiety is. Um, I uh, looked online a little bit and did some some research. And first of all, on Instagram, there's like eight hundred and fifty thousand hashtags with the term social anxiety, which that's that's a lot. Uh, Yeah, I didn't actually do that much clicking, but a lot of people were saying similar things about their about their discomfort. key thing I probably should mention right at the top of the show too, obviously is that, you know, Adam and I are <laughs> absolutely the antithesis of experts <laughs> in this or any field, oh, yeah. honestly. So we're, well, we're, we're just talking today. We're not going to you know be given any advice that anybody should like take as like gospel truth. We just figure people talking about their lives is, is illustrative and, and, and important for people to do both for the people talking and the people listening. Um, and then, um, you know i guess the, one of the key themes i kept seeing was this idea of just the severity of uh, social anxiety that people the, the numbers of people who feel anxiety are very large and then it's varying degrees that it becomes something that's intrusive in in a, in, a, in a way in someone's life like seriously intrusive like i don't particularly like taking a class where i don't know the subject matter at all i like i like i will admit I probably have not learned how to ski because I'm embarrassed to fall in front of people who ski, or I don't take a lot of foreign language class because I feel very self-conscious about not being able to speak foreign languages in a room where people are good at it. Um, so that I have that level of of anxiety. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, how would you how would you put your on that spectrum? How would you put your experience? Would you would you say it was, you know, a modest experience? It was more intense experience just give us a little sense of, of that
2: i consider myself very modest with it um that it's not severe where it will keep me from going out of the house or um being around other people um you know in conversation i notice where um you know i don't make eye contact i you know kind of stumble a little bit on my words or something like that um because i usually second guess what i'm out to say or you know something like that um usually it makes me think a lot more so i get anxious and i try to think things through but you also got to be you're in a conversation you got to talk and go with the flow you can't stop and think of every little thing um but i've known people that are severely social anxious and they can't you know there's times where they don't want to leave the house um you know, they're afraid to be seen by other people kind of deal. Um, it's, there's a whole wide variety of different things. You know, you can have that social anxiety where, you know, speaking in front of people can make you physically sick. Um, you know, I've, we've all have issues about public speaking. Um, no one gets nervous about, you know, no, doesn't get nervous about public speaking. Yeah, speaking. So it's always there, um, and it's just varying degrees. And there's also recognizing it. You got to recognize that you have some of that anxiety, and then you can deal with it.
1: So, you, so I see your fellow Hudson Valley denizen. I'm wondering if partially um, one of the things that you experienced was just did you grow up in a kind of rurally. Uh, area where you did it, there was wasn't a lot of large groups. I mean, I'm that's I think something for some people that's behind a little bit of social anxiety is that they're from a place that wasn't very crowded and didn't have a lot of that activity, and then they grew, they moved to a place that has a lot of it, and that that contrast causes a lot of problems.
2: Um, well, I grew up, um, you know, what I consider your area is like Upper Hudson Valley. I'm um, you know lower mid Hudson Valley, um, and it's that, you know, it's either suburban or very rural. Um, Where I lived was very rural. I had, you know, seven acres of woods. Um, You know, my friends lived, you know, a couple miles down the street. Um, I had one friend that was like, you know, I walked to his house about a half mile away. Um, So there wasn't a lot of kids in my neighborhood, a lot of, um, things like that. But I did play sports. I did play, um, yeah, I was involved in Boy Scouts. I was, you know, so there was always that social interaction, but never, you know, um, you know, large groups where you're always around people all the time. Um, you know, when I played with friends when we were younger, it was like, you know, one or two people at a time.
1: Um, but, uh, So when you were younger, did you have, I mean, did, it was just like kind of built into the system of, you just felt that that was part of your makeup in a way that, you know, it was something that was um, present at the beginning, not something where a traumatic experience, you're at a, an event and something embarrassing happened and suddenly you're afraid to get up uh, in front of people kind of thing. It was more like kind of part of your personality to a certain degree.
2: Um, I would say yes. Cause I'm an introvert myself. Um, you know, I don't typically go out a lot. Um, if I do go out into small groups, you know, I try to keep it somewhat intimate. Um, and um, so that's part of my nature. And then there's also the, you know, growing up, you kind of get bullied if you don't fit in a lot. So um, that kind of adds to the nature of social anxiety. You know, if you, are getting bullied for not fitting in or not being exactly like everyone else or being an extrovert, you can develop social anxiety real easy. Um, and then as you grow up with that constantly being there, your you know, severity of it grows depending on how you deal with it.
0: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that, especially, you know, growing up in a rural area um, with, you know, smaller class sizes, smaller groups, and you know, the whole not fitting in being a part of an out group definitely leads to, you know, for me, fear of rejection and fear of not fitting in and being ostracized or condemned by certain, you know, cliques or groups and and this and that. So definitely like that was a a part of high school and, you know, our, my graduating class um, out of (laughs) the last bunch of classes actually didn't even have a 10 year reunion because not enough like ticket sales happened. So like we were so distanced and so clicky that like we kind of all, we weren't together as one and we didn't really unite together. Um, It was really weird and just being a part of an out group you know I had a bunch of different parts that um, of my makeup that didn't put me in like you know the the in crowd um, yeah just really just fear of rejection and then also kind of rebelling against it so again with like the punk rock the hardcore for me it was more like metal core and death metal I enjoyed that um, of being like hey I like this music you know this is kind of my thing. So this is kind of like my kind of like reverse answer. My like, kind of like anti-aggression towards it is like, well, Hey, I'm this person. So do you think that, you know, your musical tastes and your musical genres kind of reflected how you felt about, um, you know, being social and being accepted, um, inside of a high school group or being accepted inside of like a musical kind of genre style.
2: Um, I mean that to be very clear, uh I hated people when I was in high school. Um I only <laughs> hung out with like three or four people. Um there was not a large group of kids that were even into the same stuff as I was. Um and you know so it was like you know, even in that group of people, I did things that were different than other people because one thing that I did that was different because I was really into history, I was a civil war reenactor. And people thought that was weird as hell. Um, You know, most of the other civil war reenactors were, you know, either they were history nerds or rednecks or, you know, whatever you want to say. And so it was, you know, I was like the only one that was really into punk rock and stuff like that. Yeah. Couldn't really dye my hair colors because that wasn't authentic, but, um, but yeah. So even in that group, I stood out a little bit. Um, and that always adds to, you know, oh, I'm not in one group and then, but the music definitely, it gives you a place, um, it gives you an identity, um, especially a subculture music. genre like punk rock or hardcore, you know, emo, metalcore, any of those genres of music that are very subculture based. Um it gives you an identity, it gives you a place to go. Um and it helps you find people that are similar. Um, but uh you know one thing that I noticed with social anxiety is if you have no interests that are similar. Trying
0: to talk to someone is nearly impossible. Yeah, definitely finding common ground in a conversation, like especially with a stranger, is really tough. And part of my job is doing that with you know many, many people a day. Sometimes up to like fifty or more. It's just like you know introducing myself, seeing what we can find common ground on. And music is definitely one thing that helps me out. But I kind of want to go back to one thing um, you said was like, you know, in high school, you kind of hated people. I'm sure you don't feel the same way now. Um, What do you think has changed or has it changed?
2: Um, Biggest thing that's changed mostly is how I deal with people. Um, You know, if I'm not going to have any common ground with you or we're just not going to get along. I'm just not even going to take the time, um, and you know, spend energy on that. Why should I, you know, try to do that when you know I can put my energy someplace where it's going to be beneficial to me? Um, you know, unless I have to, and then you know, you try to talk things through. You talk about your interests. You find out what their interests are, and then you can talk about it, or you talk about things that are. Pers- whatever's going on in the world, because everyone has that in common. Um, and then you can see where your you know, ideas line up, and go from there. But it's hard. It's not an easy thing to go out and just talk to people every day and be with, you know, be around someone that you have no clue what they're into or what to talk about it even.
1: It's so funny. Um, People often ask me why I'm so so extrovert and why I look like I'm connecting with a lot of people. And one of the ways that I connect with people is actually connecting on the fact that I'm not that I am in one of those groups. I am. I'm not, um, you know, just first of all, growing up, uh, you know, as a gay dude back in the late 70s and 80s i mean already you were in a group of and not even knowing and it, it was, wasn't it was like not really even fully understanding what that even meant um i've always found it easy to just relate to people as sort of you know we're part of this of different types of groups all of whom are um not mainstream normal the norm which is the most ridiculous word anyway because all the people who were in that supposed in that supposed uh, uh d- description are incredibly different. So we tend to I think as a society we tend to uh, to up upplay and and overdramatize our differences and underplay our similarities. All of us are have certain ways that we are not um we are not like other people and I think you know always when i hear someone talk uh, the way that you talk i always kind of just in, you know feel like everybody else, if they did a better job of making others feel welcome in their lives and that we would meet in the middle where introverts and extroverts would sort of be a a one-two tandem of helping each other uh, deal with the world that we see together. It's just, I, I just love, actually, I love the challenge of going up to someone who I have nothing in common with and trying to connect with them. Because, you know, on the surface, I, I, it doesn't seem like something's there, but there's always something. Oh, you like trees? I like trees. Oh, shit, I noticed you were wearing. Yeah, you know this because you're into clothes. Oh, I, I noticed those that Selfage Denim. That's like a great conversation starter. Actually, one of my favorite composers was a, a Catholic and, and great religious mystic. I already told this story before, but he called atheists. Reverse believers, and and in a way, it's kind of introverts and extroverts are kind of the same coin. You know, they're on the same coin to a certain degree, and and they're it's really one one human family of which these are like different different aspects to to our, uh, our human um, identity. Um, I want to read to you uh, just something that someone posted on the on our feed. Uh, from Beth, who goes under the urban hippie, and I just want you to get your reaction to what she wrote. Uh, this is definitely something I am unfortunately very familiar with, meaning social anxiety. Um, I used to have the worst social social anxiety and panic attacks when I was in loud places where there were, are a lot of people. It had a great deal to do with my understanding of my own personality. To be able to understand why and to allow myself what I needed as an introvert is to not to have to go through that so often. It's still hard sometimes, but I've really worked on it and found my sweet spot for the most part. Does that ring a familiar bell?
2: Um, well, for me I I was going to concerts constantly when I was, you know, in high school and through my, you know, twenties and stuff like that. So loud places not a big deal. Um, you know, being in groups where you're not where you can actually stay separate. Like going to the city doesn't bother me. I can walk around and not have to, you know, connect with people. It's for me, it's a connection that causes the anxiety. Um, where you know, oh crap, I have to talk to this person. And then what's this person thinking about me? Um, you know, am I being judged? Am I being, you know, is this person gonna reject me because I was weird? Um, That's the anxiety-inducing part. Um, But everyone has a different trigger. Um, It could be loud noises. It could be just being in a group, um, having to hold space for someone. Um, And then, you know, there's eye contact. There's just body language. Um, So much is so different in every person. Um, you can't put one label on what social anxiety is.
1: I'm curious. Uh, so as you identified and and live with, you know, with this um, situation, I'm just curious over time, what are some of the things that have you've done or read or seen? Um, like, for example, do you see a film about, you know, which clearly is, is, is telling the story of someone who has social anxiety. Does that, does that like, Ah, uh, ring that bell for you and you realize, oh, um, you know, my God, lots of people have this and it makes you it takes away a little bit of that of that anxious feeling. I'm just curious some of the things that help you out with this situation.
2: It's not really any one thing because you can't you can identify with someone in a film or, you know, a book or whatever. Um, but it's not gonna help you deal with yours. Um basically i think the easiest way to deal with it is you know you got to do that thing that you don't want to do um you know it's cognitive behavioral therapy i guess that's the way they look at it um so you do the one thing that you don't want to do um the same with like you know obsessive compulsive disorder which is an anxiety disorder as well um you got to do the one thing that would lead you to do a compulsion. Um, You know, like touch a dirty doorknob or something like that a million times without having to wash your hands in between. It's one of those things. you got to do what makes you uncomfortable to get you better at um, doing that. But as in human nature, we all try to avoid the things that make us uncomfortable. Uh, You know, if you hate being hot, you avoid the heat. You, turn, you don't turn the heat on um, kind of deal. So you do what makes you the most comfortable and it's typically avoiding the situation itself.
1: You know, I actually have a little bit of social anxiety about traveling to places where I don't speak the language because I, I love to communicate and not being able to communicate well makes me so crazy. And it's really funny, the reaction sometimes that I've, I've had in myself of dreading going to the airport, dreading packing. And my brain is like, fuck, I'm going, oops, sorry. I'm going to <laughs> Sweden. I don't speak a word of Swedish and I know people speak English there, but I'm going to look like, and I really will get myself pretty worked up. But what always really shocks me and because I force myself to do it, I refuse, I, I'm just like, don't not go because you're, first of all, you need it for your work, you travel, um, but I'm always amazed actually it's the anticipation is so much worse than the actual experience. You know, the minute, even like, you know, public speaking, I definitely in my job have had to do a lot of public speaking. And years ago, I remember heart in the chest, anxiety, like pump, boom, 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 my heart was really. And now uh, I just, you know, from familiarity, just from doing it enough. um, Now I I could spontaneously in in a large group of people start talking. It's, you know, it's almost expected in a way. And I'm kind of like, what's the worst thing that can happen. I got used to that, but to go back to the travel thing, I'm always amazed at how quickly when I arrived that I'm so glad that I didn't let the fear overcome the experience. And I, you know, I just wonder sometimes if you've had that little victory lap where you're like, "Freg, I didn't really want to go to that, to that event. And I went and I actually had a great time. Have you had moments like that where you're like, Oh dude, <laughs> you did good.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to go you know do this thing for work, go to some party. Um, you know my old job I was a I delivered Pepsi uh, so you know we had groups at work it's not like we really had parties, but it was like the meetings and stuff like that where you were always in that group and you know if you had to say something, all eyes were on you and you, that was like just anxiety inducing. Um, because you're always like What is what are they thinking of me um and that's where it's always in your head it's not you know because you can't control what they think of you, you can't control um how they react to you, but you're always thinking about what their reaction is gonna be, what um trying to control things that can't be controlled um and that's what's in like drives you crazy. Um, I mean, I don't have anything about traveling, you know, it's like, okay, if I don't know the language, you'll find some way to communicate. Um, But it's not, again, everyone has some way, some different way. And it's all it is, is being able to identify what you have. And then you, you know, once you find out what it is, what makes that tick, you can work on fixing it. Um,
1: do you have, do you have any regimen of your own? Do you have any, you know, I know some people deal with different types of, of anxiety with like meditation and other things. I'm curious if you have any regimen that you use for yourself.
2: Uh, not really. Um, yeah. Cause again, I don't deal with a lot of large groups in general. Um, yeah with work. It's usually just me and one other person that I'm dealing with to deliver. Um, you know, other than meetings that happen every six months or so. Um, but you know, so I'm pretty good in one-on-one situations or, you know, one-on-three small groups. Um, but once you find like a common ground, it's easier to talk. So you gotta—that's my first thing I try to do—is find that common grounds. Um, find what they're passionate about. Find what, what I'm passionate about. Where it collides, and then we can talk about something.
1: Um, so, but do you find do you find that Instagram and social media, that kind of distant reaching out, has that been helpful to you?
2: Uh, yeah, because you can find people of common ground. Um, a lot easier um you know when it was like the music scene was really big um because a lot of the subculture scenes they come and go um as people get older people you know move on they have families and all that stuff so the the concerts don't get as big they the bands don't tour as much um so that kind of drops off and you kind of lose track of all those people that you used to hang around with um but uh you know, now you can find common ground through, you know, cause it's not like walking down the street. You're going to see another guy that's in the denim, um, maybe in the city, but not
1: around here. Uh, not so much in the city. I have to say, I really wish there were more of it, but there's not that many people were yeah, no. in selfish. Um, well maybe in the Lower East Side, which is where I ran into you last time was that selfish? Yes.
2: Actually that's, I was taking a break from work. Um, uh, which was a bit crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just finding that common ground where you can identify.
1: How about, how about photography? Has that been a big, uh, because you take beautiful pictures. I'm, I'm curious if that's a, a hobby that you've connected with other photographers.
2: Um, believe it or not, photography is a very, uh, unless you do portrait photography or group photography, um, a very solo project um, going out and doing like landscape photography. You're getting up early, you're going out in the, some secluded area to get that landscape photo. And there's typically no people in it. Um, so, but uh, I've talked to other people about it, um, but we all work separately.
1: Um, so that water in a lot of your photos, is that the Hudson? Yes. Because I first found, I found your feed and I was like, oh, this guy's into denim and stuff, but he's another Hudson Valley dude. And I would see the water. So there's this familiar, the familiar vibe that you get when you see images. And people should definitely go check out your feed because you take really beautiful shots.
2: I mean, I moved a couple miles away from the river now. Um, uh, before I was like, you know, two minutes away from a riverfront park. Um, now I live a little bit further in. Um, but, uh, so I don't get to go there as often. Um, and right now the parks are, you know, the start of fishing disease and everyone's kind of spread, uh, along the, uh, the riverfront there, um, makes it hard to take pictures. Um, but, uh, you know, finding someone that has the same thing. Instagram has definitely helped. Um, I've met up with a lot of great people. um, you know, one of the guys, um, Selvage One, Victor, he is a great um, organizer of getting people together. Um, he's, he's become a good friend. Um, and when, uh, you yeah, know, it's that common ground. And then half the time we're not even talking about denim when we're hanging out. It's just about other things. But it's that common ground that gets you started um, and can break down those barriers.
1: Yeah, Victor's amazing. I mean, he's always seems like he's in another place meeting other people. I think he's in, involved with travel in some form, travel. I can't remember exactly. That's
2: his passion. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, he loves world travel. Uh, so, you know, one of the cool things is when he's going someplace, he'll do a longer layover in New York City. We get to hang out. Um, but yeah, no, Instagram kind of gives you that opportunity to connect with people that are like-minded that have similar interests and then you know that interest is only one part of you you can have a million other interests and then you're talking about this and they're you're learning about their interests and so i think the easiest way to break down some social anxiety especially you know individual with people small groups finding that common ground, um, because you come alive when you talk about something you're interested in.
1: Do you still read a lot about the, the civil war? Cause I'm, a, I'm really big into civil war history books.
2: Um, I haven't read a lot of, as much as I used to. Um, I did a lot when I was in high school, um, or very young. Um, you know, Gettysburg was the movie that got me into everything.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I did reenact with, uh, the Orange County unit, which was pretty famous during the war because um, they had a, uh, a signature um, badge that they wore kind of deal. It was basically an orange ribbon tied through their buttonhole in their jacket, and you could easily identify them um, from across the field and
1: stuff like that. Did it symbolize something? Did it have a message to it, or is it just more of an identi- identity marker?
2: Uh, it was 40 orange blossoms uh which was the uh the seal of Orange County in New York. Oh cool. Um and that was a uh you know and it was also considered like that uh the badge of courage you got it after your first battle. Um also where the term red badge of courage kind of originated. Um the book red badge of courage was actually about the 124th uh New York. Stephen Crane Yes. He used to hang out in Port Jervis um, and listen to war stories from the veterans in the park.
1: Wow. So, well, here we go. We've just now found a common interest that you and I could talk about beyond what we've already talked about.
2: Yeah. Uh, And that always that breaks down your barriers. So you're like, oh, crap, I don't don't know what to talk about because I don't know what they're into.
1: I want to, I'm going to ask Adam to chime in in a second, but, but I do want to say once again, every talk that we've had, I have this feeling of wanting to remind people that everything what we do is enriched by seeing life as an interrelated, interdependent uh, sort of situation with other human beings. And that um, we really owe it to each other to be more curious about each other. It's like you should go up at, you know, at a party and make sure you go to the person who's sitting quietly in the corner and say, hey, how's it going? You know, you want a drink, whatever. We kind of owe it to each other to pay better attention to each other because I think an awful lot of what is at the root of our problems as a society is that we're just simply not paying attention to other human beings. And we're we're tending to be obsessively uh, focused on our own needs and our own interests, and that becomes sort of a, a, a down, you know, almost an insatiable thing to try to satisfy life by only looking inside. I think our humanity is fulfilled by the way that we connect with others. So every, you know, I just wanna say everybody's listening. It's not just for people with social anxiety to listen and say, oh, here's, here's what I learned here. This is for everybody to realize that in our culture, we need to create an environment where everyone is included. Everyone is invited. And we learn from each other. I love eccentricity in every form. I want to know every goofy, ridiculous thing that another human being is into because I, I just love and think that it enriches uh, our world experience uh, to have diversity. Diversity is what, first of all, it's healthier. Second of all, it's more interesting to have diversity. And so if we're, if we're not really paying attention to people different from us, we're, we're really basically not not really making ourselves very knowledgeable about the world. So now, Adam, I could see probably look at like, okay, gas bag, shut up. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. That was all, all good stuff. And going back to the, um, you know, the badge of courage, I think you know, what we're trying to do here is give the badge of communication. And that's something that we really owe to each other as well. And just like you said, like going up to someone at a party and just kind of saying, hey, what's up? Well, there's a couple things that we could do to to really go with that and that would be like, you know, asking open-ended questions, not just yes or no like, you know, who do you know at this party blank. It's like, hey, what brought you here? Like, you know, what well, what are you enjoying about this party or what do you enjoy about this park? You have the the room to really open it up and, you know, like Sean said, break down those barriers because a lot of people have that those defensive walls up so high because of the me 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 culture and i'm so good i'm this person who are you and that's not a healthy you know mindset to have that that really hurts other people and to move forward and to take this you know vulnerability and take this building of empathy to the next level we really have to respect the other person and honor them just as much as we honor ourselves. So by asking you know, open-ended questions, by making the first move, you can find that common ground and you can break down those barriers. And that is what's going to earn you the badge of communication. Exactly.
1: Dude, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's beautiful. I, abso- I absolutely love that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's what's really needed because you know us guys like we need to to be the the band of brothers going back to the the army stuff because we all need to to get through this together and by separating each other by creating out groups by you know all this polarization and all this you know division within our country and our world is It's not helping anymore. Our world's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we need to really understand that. And, you know, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our children and we owe it to our grandchildren to really make it different because we don't need all those old, um, you know, mindsets and old kind of cultural habits that we've talked about so many times before. We need to make new ones so that social anxiety is... Less and less, you know. You you're saying like eight hundred fifty thousand hashtags. You know why? Why can't we just be kinder to each other? So that's what I I got out of this conversation, and I hope you know that if you are listening, you make that effort to earn that badge of of communication.
1: That's great, Adam. Really, really good. Um, I I do want to just uh, emphasize again. That if, um, you know, social social anxiety, anxiety at any form, if it is at a, a point where it's causing you real pain to the point of you suffering uh, in, in a significant way, you know, reach out, uh, you know, professionally, reach out to people who have, uh, you know, I'm sure there's informally things that, that, that you can be found online, but, but reach out to professionals, reach out to, to loved ones, uh, reach out. You know, reach out to to you know, wherever that might be, but um, you know, definitely don't think that you're, you know, you're uh, some, you know, in any way alone in this because it is something that many many people are experiencing, whether they talk about it or not. And I just got to say again, Sean, that um, you that you chimed in right away when we did that post about the subject of social anxiety, and that you were willing to come on and talk about it. It was like I had like tr- tremendous you know, respect, uh, extra respect, uh, um, for you for doing that. I think it's, I think it's really amazing. I think you're, you're, you've probably helped a lot of people by talking about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I try to, I see it for what it is. And I think bringing it to the forefront, talking about it, letting people know that it's out there. I, a lot of people have it, you know, so you're not alone. Um, and the other thing that I want to stress is, you're not socially anxious in that sort of situation, but you can recognize that someone is kind of like take it slow and be a bigger person. Don't just say, Oh, this person is being weird. Let me just ignore them and walk away. Um, cause that's rejection, that, that hurts you even more when someone's just, all right, I can't talk to this person. I can't break down any barriers real easy. Let me just walk away. Um, and that that rejection is part of the problem. Um, you know, kind of be, just know that this person's struggling with something and they're not a social person. And maybe they don't want to strike up a huge conversation with you. Um, but if you find something that's, you know, you guys can talk about, you know, if you find someone that's interested in the same thing that you are, they'll talk to you for hours. Um, so just... Be mindful that someone could be you know, socially anxious and just doesn't want to talk to you right away. Um, they have to kind of open up. And once they open up, they'll start talking and be a very social person. Um, it just takes time and the right subject to get them going.
1: Maybe one, one of those subjects is just the fact that we're all in this together. And that's something that we're learning now. As, as a worldwide community right now that nobody is apart from the trials of this virus that we've been contending with. And I really pray on the other side of it, when we're all back celebrating being back together, that we'll all be more sensitive and more supportive and, uh, wear that badge of communication. That's the new one, Adam. We, I, I think that's the title of this episode, badge. Of communication. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, any, any last thoughts, Adam, any, uh, sum it up yeah i mean i
0: just want to um commend you sean for your bravery and courage and to really open up and talk about it so thank you thank you for that dm and thank you for really just talking about it because that's the first step
2: yeah exactly
0: all right well i'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show this has been another episode of the veer vulnerabilis veer podcast i'm adam glinsky I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Sean Dieter. Thank you for listening.